Second Corinthians chapter number 12 is usually the verse that we go to and we typically would go to verse number 9 where Paul dealing with a thorn in the flesh, the Lord Jesus said that His grace, He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. However, there's a couple statements that Paul makes beyond that. And he is making it to the church at Corinth. Now this is the second letter that Paul is writing. And uh, so this is the second time he's had to deal with issues. And he is admitting in the beginning of chapter number 12 that he has had some issues in and of himself. And that is where verse number 9 comes into play. But he also, in chapter number 12... He admits his own shortcoming and the effect that it has on the church. Now, I have absolutely no idea how to preach this morning. Absolutely no idea. Thursday night, we were in revival with uh, Brother Ryan Goins and Brother Langston. And Brother Langston had just got up to preach and... He began to, I can't even remember the title, but he began to preach. And I don't know if he made a statement. I really could not tell you exactly. But a little after seven, God put this message on my heart. And I didn't fight it, didn't struggle with it. I just tried to figure out exactly what the message truly was. And I'm going to read some other scriptures here just to kind of get us started But uh, several months ago, this particular passage, uh, several weeks ago rather, this particular passage came to mind. And I want us to look at verse number 11. God has just said that His grace is sufficient for Paul and thereby Christ's grace is sufficient for us. But Paul says in verse number 11, he says, I am become a fool in glorying. He says, you have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, we're fixing to read verse number 13. But before we get there, I want you to understand what Paul is saying here in verse number 11 and verse number 12. He says, there's some things that I should have been expecting of you and from you. And he says, but I've been so excited about the things that have been going on. I've been excited about the times that we've met, the the people that have been saved, the people that have been healed. He says, and there's a big but coming. And in verse number 13, he says, for what is it wherein, listen to this word, you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now, I could preach this particular message and we could talk about how the church should react to the pastor and all of that. That is not my heart at all. Matter of fact, my heart is in, in the last phrase of verse 13, he says, forgive me this wrong. What was this wrong? That he did not require of them or rather that he did not give them everything that they need, thereby making them inferior to other churches. He said, preacher, I don't know where this is going. Well, 
If you'll sit in the seat next to me, we'll enjoy the ride together. So I want to deal with a thought. I'm not going to give you the title just yet. But I want to deal with this thought of getting a message that, and this is not the title, but this is going to be a message that I believe Paul is dealing with. You can read it throughout his two epistles to the church at Corinth. This is a message to those people that are hard-headed. This is a message to those people that will not listen. This is a message to those people that are constantly dabbling. This is a message that Paul has neglected to preach. But now it has come to a head and Paul has to preach it. So I want you to know that is where my heart is this morning. Now I can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And we could talk about that carnal Christian. Paul said there in chapter number 3, he says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. He says, but I had to speak unto you as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Why? He says, well, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, up until this point, you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able to bear it. The reason being is verse number 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You said, preacher, I don't like where this is going. Again, just the, the, the bus is filling up. So let's just ride this thing out together. I'm not here today to ridicule you. I'm not here today to beat anybody over the head. But I am here today to preach a message that the Lord has laid on my heart. And contrary to the passages that we've read, because this word does not appear anywhere in there, it is in my heart and thereby we've got to preach it this morning. I want to preach on this thought, the sin of adultery. The sin of adultery. Now, I ain't talking to nobody. And I have no idea, Eustace, why in the world I'm preaching this. But what I will tell you is Thursday night, just a little bit after 7, God says Sunday, you're going to junk your message that you've been waiting to preach for three weeks and you're going to preach this. This morning, I got up and I remember after I turned the alarm off and I said, well, God, I still don't know exactly what I'm going to do, so I'm going to go over that message that I've been waiting on and uh, and just in case. I got up, took a shower, went to the office. Brother, not Rocky. God never would let me open that book. My iPad and look at that message. So this morning, I'm just going to preach to you what the Lord's laid on my heart. You can like it. You can lump it. Ain't going to matter a hill of beans to me. Said, preacher, you scared? I'm contrary to what I normally am. Now he's scared a bit. I'm about half mad this morning. And so I want us this morning, I want you to know my heart. I'm compassionate. I pray God let me preach this thing with compassion. And I couldn't tell the hearts of the people in here. Maybe it's a young boy that's dealing with some lust that he needs this message. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. I have no idea. Maybe it's a man that's fixing to counsel somebody else. I don't know. But if you're here this morning, you need this message. I'm not, listen, I know we're recording and some people are going to listen to it, but I'm not so concerned about them because I'm not their pastor. I'm your pastor. And so if the Lord will help me today, we'll preach quickly on this thought of the sin of adultery. I want us and keep your Bible open because we're going to be moving around fairly quickly. 
But I want us to notice first of all what Christ had to say about adultery. The first, what Christ had to say about adultery. Well, let's start reading in the book of Matthew. Matthew and Mark, they say the most about it or they record the most of Christ's word about this. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 27, and then verse number 31. Now we're going to read just portions of this and then make our point and read the rest of the passages. So you bear with us this morning. But number one, what Christ had to say about adultery, we see this first thought. He confirmed the law of God. Read with me. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 27. He says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit Adultery. Does your King James Bible say thou shalt not? Somebody help me. So what did Christ say? Well, first of all, He didn't say, well, we're living under the law of grace, so you can, you can do what you want to. No, Jack Lick. No, it's not what He said at all. What He did say was you've heard, you've heard the word, you remember the teachings that thou shalt not commit adultery. So Jesus here in verse number uh, 27, is confirming the law of God. Now, if you will, look with me in verse number 31. He says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. So again, Jesus is referring back to the law. The law of God. The law of Moses. The Ten Commandments. Whatever you want to say. And He is confirming that This is what my Father in heaven has said. So first we see that He confirmed the law. But then we see, we're talking about the sin of adultery. We see that the next thing He did was condemn adultery through grace. Now I'm going to let that lay out there for a minute. We're fixed. Now understand that when Jesus was on the earth, This dispensation of grace was not yet ushered in. But Jesus showed grace to every individual that He ever came to. And so though we're in the book of Matthew and and Jesus has not been crucified, we still understand that grace came by Christ Jesus. And so in Himself, He is condemning adultery. Listen to me. Matthew chapter number 5. Verse number 28. We just read verse 27 where Jesus confirmed it. But now in verse number 28, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. Uh Uh-oh. See, the law said if you commit adultery, if you go through the act of adultery, then you're guilty. But Jesus says under His law, by His Word, that if you so much as look at a woman to lust after her, you're guilty of adultery. Y'all still with me on the Sunday morning? And so there is a an idea today that that I can look as long as I don't touch. I can I can piddle, I can kind of mess around as long as it doesn't go too far. I want you to know today, if that's your line of thinking, that you are sadly and utterly mistaken. Because the Lord Himself said that if you so much as look with the desire to lust, then you've committed adultery already. 
You see, the law said don't do it. But Jesus went even further. And people get, get now I've mentioned this about three times now. People get all bent out of shape and they say, well, we're not living under the law anymore. So we don't have to live our lives that way. And I understand that. But I want you to know that under the law of grace, under the law of Christ, His standards are even higher than they were in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I'm not going to read it, but I'll try to quote it. He says, this new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as yourselves. If you love one another, guess what you're going to do? You're not going to be with someone else's wife. You're not going to be with somebody else's husband. If you love one another, you're going to love that wife. If you love one another, you're going to love that husband. You're going to honor the vows that you made before God. And man, you're going to continue in the things of God because you're keeping the commandment that Christ gave. To love one another. Y'all still with me? So I want us to look number next is that He established its terms. We saw uh, number one that Christ had something to say. We see that He confirmed the law. We see that He condemned it through grace. But then we see that He established its terms. We see that Christ established the terms for adultery. Chapter number 5, we're still in the book of Matthew, verse number 32. He says, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife. Remember, how the Old Testament said, if you put her away, give her a writing of divorcement. But now he says, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, listen to me, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And so we see that there are terms that are established by Jesus Christ Himself. We're not done over in chapter number 19, verse number 9. The Bible says, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. We'll read it here in just a little bit. You can go ahead and find it. But in Mark chapter number 10, we'll say a few words there. Uh, but he established the terms. He says the only reason uh, that you can leave your husband or wife is for the cause of fornication. Now, do I need to uh, define these terms? The word fornication, and, and I understand there's young years in here, but I'd rather them learn it from church than learn it from the TV. Somebody help me. Uh, the word fornication is having any sexual relationship outside of marriage. Fornication typically is before marriage. Now, we'll find here in a minute, it is. it includes all sexual activity outside of marriage. Adultery typically is defined even in societal terms uh, that it is having intercourse or it is having intimate relations uh, without the marriage. In other words, without your wife, without your husband. And so here we're dealing with this thought of adultery. We're dealing with a man uh, leaving his wife for another woman. We're dealing with a woman leaving her husband uh, for another man. Uh, God have mercy. Uh, the terms have changed now it seems. A woman is leaving her husband for another woman. And a man is leaving his wife for another man. But under God this morning, uh, we need to go back uh, to the terms that God Himself has set on this. Uh, that the only reason is for fornication. You said, now preacher, you know my story. You know, you know why I had to leave my wife. 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. That's water under the bridge. If you've made peace with it, that's that's between you and God. But what I'm here today, I'm not here to fix something that's already happened. I'm here to fix something that's about to happen. I'm fixing something that, bless God, ought never to happen again in the sight of this church or in the sight of Christians. Somebody help me. He, he established His terms, but then I want us to see next that He warns of the results. He warns of the results in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, we see in verse number 3, I believe it is. And then verse number, I could be wrong here. Let me just see if I can find it. Uh, verse number 3, He says, um, let's read. The Pharisees also came unto Him, tempting Him, and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that which uh, made them at the beginning, made them, help me, male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Verse number 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh of what therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder read with me again in verse number 9 and I say unto you whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery so here what we find is Jesus not only putting terms as he did before but now he's warning of the results here in in verse number, uh, uh, I think it was three, four, five, six, somewhere along the lines, uh, he began to allude to Genesis chapter number two, verse number twenty-three, and verse number twenty-four. After God made Adam, and then God made Adam to sleep, and took from her a rib, and made Eve, and then He put them together, and He said these exact words that a man should cleave unto his wife. Uh, so, what is the result that Christ is warning about? Uh, it's the word cleave. It means to be joined together or to become one uh, in my uh, shop there at the house my garage uh, I've got to do some joinery every once in a while some of y'all know what I mean uh, you take that wood and you get it just right you've got a level plane on it uh, then you take some some uh, wood glue you take something else and you begin to put that together and you clamp it and you let that pressure over time make that bond uh, secure And but when you it, listen if it's done right, if it's done the way it's supposed to, those two things cleave together. And if you ever try to pull them apart, uh, chances are uh, the whole thing is going to break. It may not be that seal. It may not be that seam. Uh, but the whole thing may break. Uh, shatters may happen. Uh, splinters may happen. And when God said in Genesis chapter number 2, and God's own son said in Matthew chapter 19, uh, that a man ought to cleave to his wife and a wife ought to cleave to her husband. He's saying those two are become one. They are joined together. Uh, that means when you begin to try to break that, a uh, one or both of you are going to become broken and you'll never be the same. And God warns about it. Mark chapter number 9, chapter 10, excuse me. Mark chapter number 10 puts it a little bit differently. Mark chapter 10, verse number 11 and 12. Same scenario here. The, the Pharisees, they're coming, the religious are coming, and they're asking Jesus these things. Verse number 11, And He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. 
And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now I want you to understand that this thing goes both ways, whether it's the husband's fault or the wife's fault. Uh, if they begin to divorce, then they are in the wrong. And not only are they in the wrong, the result here is the point I'm trying to, trying to drive home. Uh, it may be one person signing on the dotted line, Brother Jody. Uh, but I want you to know that the other person, by effect, becomes an adulterer or an adulteress too, if they get married. Marriage is not something to fool around with. People go in, well, well, if it don't work out, I'll just, I'll just pay a lawyer and we'll get out of it. Hogwash. I understand that as far as the state goes, as far as government goes, all it is is a piece of paper. But honey, if you stood before God, then I want you to know that those vows are before God. And we bless God ought not be so fickle about them and try to, to do away with the vows that we've made before God. So first of all, what Christ had to say about adultery. Now let's look, what else can we find about adultery? Number two, what else? What else can we find about adultery? Just quickly, I'm not even going to read there, but I, I'll tell you Proverbs chapter number 5, verse 15. It's the, the, the writer there, Solomon. He says, you need to drink from your own cisterns. If you dig the well, he said, that's where you need to be drinking. I'm not trying to be off color, but if you're married, your intimacy, your love needs to be with that man or that woman. You don't need to be, you don't need to be looking one way or the other. Somebody help me now. Listen, I love writing. I love writing. I I like writing letters. I I like writing cards and things like that. If you begin, you begin writing Kurt, if you begin writing another female, maybe even in the church, to say, "Hey, sis, I'm just let you know I'm praying for you." That thing in the in the in the heart of the recipient can mean so much more than just, "Oh, brother, Kurt's praying for me." Right? Yeah. Right. You're right. Then maybe you get a card back, or you get a letter back, and she maybe opens her heart, begins to tell you things maybe that she shouldn't. Before long, the 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 term is. There's an emotional affair begins to happen. You say, well, I've never touched her, never even talked to her in person, never been around her, never brushed up against her, never gave her a hug, sideways or otherwise, never done anything but in the heart. We better be careful. I know some of us, August is one of those months, everybody got married in August nearby. So we've had like four or five anniversaries, but those of us that have got married in August and, and in every month of the year, I want you to know tonight how the devil could be after your marriage tomorrow. And we need to take this thing serious. What else? We need to drink from our own cisterns. Don't open your heart up to somebody else. I've said it time and time before. I don't want to be caught in a corner or in my office. Or anywhere else without my wife. I just don't want to do it. And I'm not being funny. But sometimes, sometimes women make me uncomfortable. What I mean by that is sometimes they, they like to talk too much. 
They like to smile too much. Now, I've been, now, now, Aaron, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm anything. I don't know how in the world we've been married for 21 years. I ain't got a clue. But I'm not a catch, Brother David. I mean, I know what I look like. I've done soul myself. I have done seen myself. I, I know what I look like, what I'm trying to say. So I Satan can weave a destructive web. He can get you in the corner somewhere just for an innocent prayer request. And that thing begin to work in somebody's heart. If you're not careful, that emotionalism, those emotions will run high. Next thing you know, you're catching eyes across the church. You're sitting at the same table with them at the fellowship. Now everybody's going to be scared to death of who to sit with at the fellowship. <laughs> Scriptures has something to say about, about Proverbs say you need to drink from your own sister. Proverbs talks about in verse number 14 of chapter number 22. I am going to read this just because it, it, it helped me. Proverbs 22, verse number 14, and then chapter number 23, we see this. The mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Chapter number 23, verse number 33. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse Things. I'm going to tell you something. Personal experience. That man, that man that is that is dipping his toes in somebody else's wife. That man that is drinking from somebody else's sister. He is going to do everything that he can to justify his actions, his words, and his deeds. But he will say some of the stupidest things that has ever come out of the mouth of an individual. Because... Why? <laughs> what is it? Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. They'll say, well, God's telling me to leave my wife. You ought to be slapped three days from Sunday. Well, I fell out of love with her. Shut up. Now, I know I'm dealing with some people that may have been divorced. And I am trying, I, I'm not pulling any punches this morning, but I, I hope you know my heart after these years that I've been here, that I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And I understand that, that you that have been divorced and maybe even married, I know there's been a whole lot of things go on. But again, I gotta instruct you this morning how that this is not for those that have gone. This is for you that your marriage is on the rocks. This is for you that are about to fall over the precipice of sin. How this is for you so that you can save your life and your children and your family. What's the scripture say? Well, we saw what Proverbs said. What about the epistles? What time is somebody here? The epistles. Well, we're going to be in Romans for just a minute. You know Romans one of my favorite books of the Bible. Good gracious. Part reason why we've been in Romans in Bible studies is because it's my favorite. Part of the reason why we're only at chapter number 5 is because it's my favorite. <laughs> The epistles deal, I tried to categorize this, but 
it's kind of broad, but he deals with lust, he deals with sin, and he deals with the body. So I'm going to try to go quickly here. Romans chapter number 6, verse number 11. He says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, isn't that a blessing? We're no longer dead to sin, or, or dead in sin, but we're dead to sin, and we're alive in Christ, is what he said. He says, let not sin. Because of this, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness. You know, we were getting on the interstate yesterday, and there's a big yield sign. You know what that meant? That meant there's something else coming. You need to watch and you need to kind of carefully get in there. And he says, don't yield your body. Don't yield your members to things that's going to bring destruction. If you see something, don't even pull out there. You're liable to get run over. Liable to get just crashed into. But instead, stop. Look both ways. Then move on in the direction. Y'all ain't helping me. Not, I know you are. My wife's going to say, people are saying amen. They, they wasn't mad, but... Listen, as far as I'm concerned, I'm up here by myself. I know y'all are talking to me and I can see your head shaking, but man alive, this thing's got, I'm telling you since Thursday night, man, it's been on me and I, I begin to beg God, Lord, I don't care to preach it, I don't mind that, but why? Would you just tell me why? And he never did, so I'm just doing it. This word reckon, it means to consider or count the cost. And he says we need to reckon, we need to consider or count ourselves dead to sin. And as a result, sin should not reign in our bodies. Now I want you to know with this statement, that does not mean that we are sinless. That does not mean that we are sinless. But it does mean that we should not continue in sin. It does mean that we may fall to sin. But if you do not get up and wipe it off and give forgiveness from God and get forgiveness from whoever is involved and move on in the right direction, then you are continuing in sin. The Scripture tells us, don't, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain in our bodies. Verse number 1 and verse number 2 of chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, the argument here was, well, if we have grace, if God gives us grace, then that means when we sin, we will be forgiven. And Paul says, yeah, you're right. If you sin or when you sin, God gives grace and you are forgiven of that sin. And that's it. they said great. So what that means is we can continue in our sin and God will keep giving us grace. And Paul said, God forbid. How shall we then that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Yes. Yes, the Scripture says where where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. I'm glad of that because we'd all be lost in our sin. But that is not a license to just get up every morning and do whatever we want to so flippantly without any consideration of, of our lives and God's life and His sacrifice of His Son. But what that means is we should, we should respect and honor the grace that God's given us. And if and when we do need it, when we do slip, when we do fall, then God freely gives that to us. But I pity the person that is saying, so you mean 
I can just keep sinning and I can keep asking for forgiveness and God will keep doing it. So I'm okay. I'll just continue to live. Oh, I pity. I pity that person. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 15. He says, now we just read there in chapter uh, 6, verse number 1 and 2 of Romans. And he says, how, how shall we how shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now we look in First uh, Corinthians chapter number six, and we find here in verse fifteen, he says, "Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot?" Now I'm not going to take the time to define the word harlot. You grown folks, you ought to know what that means. He says, "God forbid." He says, "What?" Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body, for two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Here he goes again. This is the third time, and in his manner of weeks, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. We ought to consider every one of us married, unmarried, Marriage on the rocks. Marriage just hunky-dory. We need to consider ourselves warned today that you will stand, that you will stand, I'm fixing to turn to first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter five. You will stand before God based on your decisions. Based on your reaction to this message, you'll stand before God. Second Corinthians chapter number five, verse number ten. Before I read that, I want you to know, according to chapter 6 over here that we just read, he says, flee fornication. And I mentioned it earlier, that fornication is typically defined as sex outside of marriage. Before marriage. But in the context, it is everything. Married or not. Divorced or not. In adultery or not. He says, we need to flee fornication. I firmly believe that the reason that some churches are dealing with a lack of the power of God, the preacher's trying and most of the people are trying, but there's sin in the pew. And it's because they quit fleeing fornication. They quit fleeing sin. They're allowing it to come in. And they, it started off, they allowed it unawares, but now it's as if they've got the door wide open and saying, just come on in. Whatever sin wants to come, yeah, I'll give it a try. It ought not be how the church is. It ought not be how a child of God is. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Consider yourself warned this morning. My, my hand up. I, I'm warned. Things done in my body, whether good or bad, I will stand before God. What else does it say? Next, we look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Last year... I guess about this time, maybe even a couple months prior to this, we were dealing with the series, What is Sin? 
I think it took us 10, 11, 12 parts. I don't remember to go through it. We dealt with this a little bit. We dealt there in Romans. We dealt in 1 Corinthians. We dealt in uh, uh, Galatians. We dealt with these things about sin. What is sin? Well, some of it's defined here. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 1. He says, Know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Do you believe we're living in perilous times? I, I firmly believe they are here. Perilous times are here. And then it goes on and it says, For men, during these perilous times, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They shall be covetous. They shall be boasters. They shall be proud. They shall be blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontinent. Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Trady, uh, traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Listen to this convicting verse. They, in these last days, in these perilous days, these men have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Paul went so far as to say, and we've dealt with this before, but Paul went so far as to say, if there's somebody in the midst of you that is in sin, and they're dabbling in sin, and they're out in it, and they're not making it, he said, you ought not even have a part of them. He says, from such turn away. We need to be careful. We need to be careful this morning. And I'll tell you this, and again, my hand up, but broken heart. I might find myself in these verses tomorrow. Any of us could. Any of us could. But Brother Kurt, I think maybe Brother David this morning talked about that fire. And how that as a young Christian, that kindling, that it, it could be squashed. The reason it could be squashed, I'm not trying to add words to him, but in my heart I was over there sitting thinking, the reason it could be is because all of the opportunities that you have for something else, You've got family, you can stay home. Maybe you have a financial need, you need to work extra. You just go to work. Maybe things are too hard around here. So you just pick up, everybody knows your past, just pick up and move somewhere else. Your fire could go out. The same could be said about many of us in here this morning. Because of the circumstance we find ourselves in and often the circumstances that we put ourselves in. Our fire can be quenched. So Paul wrote there in Timothy, he says that we're living in some last days, some perilous days. And he says these people, they have a form of godliness. Then in the book of James, chapter number 1, I know some of y'all are waiting for me to get to this. The book of James, chapter number 1, Verse number thirteen. This goes back to this goes back to that statement. Well, I believe God's telling me to leave my wife. Let no man say when he is tempted. This word tempt, this word tempted, or temptation in this usage, it is the solicitation to do sin. And the Bible says that God ain't going to do it. Right. God. Y'all listen to me. I'm going to be as improper as I can. God ain't going to do it. Let no man say that when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But he says, but every man, when he is tempted, 
When he is drawn away of his own lusts and he is enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But oh, thank God, there's a, there's an exhortation here in verse number 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. There, there is both a warning and an exhortation. There's a warning here and he says that you will be tempted. But if you are drawn away and you are enticed of your own lust and you go that direction, you don't go that route and you don't get it right, he says it will give birth to sin and to death. There is a warning here. But I'm glad that there's an encouragement. He says, First of all, you're not tempted of God. So don't blame God on this. I'm going to go one step further. Sometimes you're not tempted of the devil either. You're tempted of your own lusts. Somebody else's field looks a little bit greener. Somebody else's water looks a little bit clearer or a little bit brighter or a little bit cooler. I want you to know today, better watch yourself dealing with somebody and judging your own pastor. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be nice. Better watch yourself looking at somebody else thinking that you'd be a whole lot better off with them than what God has already given you. Because your life will get over there and if you're not careful, it'll give birth to death. It'll give birth to sin. And you'll be lost in your choices. Don't blame God. That's one encouragement. The other is, don't err. He just painted a bad picture. <laughs> he, he says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted. Neither can uh, he tempted any man. But every man, when he is tempted, uh, when he is drawn away, or is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived it, bringing forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringing forth death. Do not err. Gave us a bad situation. And he says, Hey, Kurt, don't err. If you don't err, you ain't got to worry about that. If you stay with the stuff, you stay on the path. You, if you stay with God, you don't have to worry about it. But man, one step in the wrong direction. One step in the wrong direction. Brother David, if you can, somebody come with a song of invitation. I want you to know today, I almost feel as though I haven't done the burden that God's placed on my heart justice. Now, I don't know how to correct that. But I feel like I feel like I've given you everything that I know to give you. I feel like I've given you that warning. I feel like I've given you what Jesus Himself said about adultery. I've given you what God through the Holy Ghost by the pen of Paul and the pen of James has said about adultery. And so you know that I'm not making this up. This is not from Dr. Spock's book. This is not from uh, um, uh, LaHaye's book, The Act of Marriage. This is not from anybody else's book. This is from God's book. And we can turn to some books and probably learn a lot of things. I've even looked at some books in counseling trying to help some people. But through it all, this is the book. It is alive. It is living. It is breathing. It is telling us to love our wives, to love our husbands. Don't step out. Don't fall in sin. Stay on. You are to cling to that woman. Cling to that man. Because if you ever try to break it, if you ever try to break it, matter of fact, they're in... uh, 
one of wherever that scripture was, it says, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God's put it together. Don't try to break it because you will break it. You won't just pull it apart. You will break it. Let's bow our heads. If you need to come to this altar, will you come? Maybe you want to pray for your marriage. Maybe you want to pray for yourself. Maybe you just need to ask God to help. Maybe you need to thank God for giving you a good marriage. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea what to do. But we're going to bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask You that You would, Lord, help Your people. I pray today that You would give them, give them the burden, God, that You placed on my heart. In whatever way that may seem in Your will. Father, I pray that You would help them. Lord, I know that I've, I've messed up. I've fouled it up, Lord, but, but I've, I've, I've tried. God, my heart, Lord, is so heavy. Lord, I can probably pick two or three or maybe even four that might have some, some issues at hand. God, but You know the hearts of every one of us. God, I can point my fingers... God, but I'd be afraid at who was pointing at me. So God, I ask you in compassion, but with a sense of urgency, Lord, that you'd save the marriage right now. That's the closest to destruction. Father, I pray today, God, that you would do a work in the heart of that husband. Lord, that's entertaining these thoughts that we talked about today. Lord, if there's a wife here today that she's given in, she's given up, she's done, God, I pray that you'd give her a strength that comes from heaven. Let her press on for the love of God and for the love of her husband. Lord, if that thought has ever come in, well, I just don't love. Well, I don't like this. God, I pray that you would drop all of the facades that have them blinded. And I pray that you'd give them a new appreciation and a new love for that wife or to that husband. Lord, I'm truly asking you today to save a marriage today. I ask it in Jesus, in your lovely son's name. I ask it today for his glory. Let's stand. What are we singing, Brother David, Brother Samuel? I surrender all. Page 354. It's 354. Stand and sing with us. These altars are open. Let's sing. Oh.